You've been listening to Digest and Invest from eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Digest and Invest podcast brought to you by eToro. Uh, on this week's episode, I'm joined by Ben Laidler, Global Market Strategist. Ben, how are you? Yeah, good. I'm conscious of the fact I'm filling some big shoes this week. Uh, Josh has decided to uh, go on holiday. How dare he? I know, I know. Although he's in the UK, at least. I think we're, we're going to meet him in person the first time uh, next week. I just really hope he's not like seven foot or something just uh, to make me feel even smaller. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he'll be he'll be coming in. And of course, I'm in, I'm in Israel for those listening at the moment. I'm in Israel uh, and it's, well, 27 degrees, Ben. And it's blue skies, so hopefully you're not too jealous. Yeah, I wouldn't come back if I were you. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, certainly like, not 27 degrees and blue skies here. Yeah, I just said to a colleague, I was like, I might actually stay out here. Um, on the podcast today or this week, we can talk about food fears. Uh, we've seen those increase drastically recently. Uh, we can also talk about how uh, investors are currently voting with their feet. So we should touch upon what the fund flows were telling us. And then we maybe we can sort of wrap up this week with our views on, on whether a recession could happen and, and what central banks might do uh, if that is the case. Yeah, great. I mean, there's certainly a lot going on. And right with markets this week, uh, there's, there's tons of issues flooding around. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. Yeah, there hasn't really been a quiet week this year uh, at all. Uh, okay, first up then, let's talk food crisis. Uh, am I right in saying that people are, are seeing the food crisis we have right now as, as more significant than the oil one? You know, if so, what are the impacts we, we could see? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, when, when push comes to shove, right, I think we probably need to eat more than we need to drive our car or heat our homes, right? Um, I think uh, the first one's probably a necessity. The second's probably just an inconvenience. Um, you know, just to throw some numbers at you, so wheat prices are up more than oil prices in the last uh, in the last year, and of all the calories that the world eats every day, twenty percent of them uh, come from uh, come from wheat, right? So it's not chocolate bars uh, or uh, anything else; it's it, it's wheat and cereals. So you know, really, really important. And obviously, this has all just been, uh, you know, exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine, you know, a massive. Uh, food producer and, and exporter. And, um, you know, food prices were already rising even before the crisis. And this has sort of really just accelerated that. And, um, and and it's not just those commodities, right? It's also the related stocks. So, you know, it's been a miserable year for equities. But if you look at, you know, some of those um, silver linings, some of those stocks that have done well, I mean, some of the best ones have been out of this space, right? So fertilizer, farm equipment stocks have been really some of the best performers this year. Um, but, you know, these high food prices are a huge problem for the global economy, right? It's really stoking inflation. Um, it's really stoking these sort of food security fears. Um, it's especially so in those sort of poor emerging markets, right, which just have less sort of flexibility. And, um, you know, last week, uh, for those of you that read The Economist, you know, the, the, magazine, art, the magazine cover there was entitled uh, The Coming Food Catastrophe. Uh, and we also saw the governor of the Bank of England, no less, last week call the food situation, um, you know, globally apocalyptic. So, you know, these are, you know, not normally words that come out of central bankers, uh, Very well. central bankers mouths. So, you know, we're certainly in the camp of, you know, th- there's plenty to worry about. These ag prices are definitely staying so higher for longer. Um, but, you know, maybe just to sort of take a step back, I'm also sort of reminded of um, there's a sort of irreverent indicator out there called the magazine cover indicator, which basically says that, you know, once you start appearing on magazine covers, 
then um, maybe it's all in the price, you know, at least as far as sort of stock markets uh, are, are concerned. And, and we're seeing some of that, right? I mean, ag stocks, commodity prices sort of down a little bit over the last sort of month or so. So I'm definitely in the camp of these prices are going to stay high. Um, but I think, you know, by the time we all talk about it like this, and with the rally you've seen in some of these stock prices, um, um, I think we may have seen the, um, you know, the most, the most dramatic rises may already be behind us. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing to say. And, and I'm sure our listeners will, will resonate with that. Once it's all over the news, once it's, like you said, on the magazine covers, a lot of it is priced in. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed from that perspective, we're nearing the peak or the worst you know, part of that sort of scenario. Um, moving on then to uh, to talk about fund flows. Now, I, I saw you and Kelly, you mentioned this on, on Monday on the webinar, which of course people can get head over to the Toro Academy to, 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 to view. Is there anything in particular we can sort of learn from these recent developments? You know, is there a clear trend from these fund flows? And, you know, if so, you know, what sort of caught your attention the most from looking into it? Yeah, so I, I think it's always useful looking at these things, right? Because so, so this is where the rubber really meets the road, right? What are people actually doing with their money? Um, it's very different from what people say they're going to do, or you know, when they reply to these surveys, what I might do. Uh, this is, um, you know, this is sort of a real hard indicator. So we you know, we look at these outflows from exchange traded funds and mutual funds, you know, pretty closely. And so what have we seen? I mean, the bottom line is we've seen outflows from all of them this year, right? Uh, across all asset classes, sort of money market funds, which is our sort of proxy for cash, equity funds, and, and especially bond funds. Um, that's probably not surprising, right? We've, we've seen a big correction in markets across, you know, a lot of asset classes. So we've seen a pretty broad, but also, you know, reasonably modest sort of step back in, um, you know, people putting money into these, into these assets. And I think that's a sign of, you know, some nervousness in markets. Uh, it's a sign of investors, you know, stockpiling a little bit of cash, um, which um, I think also sort of makes sense, right? I mean, you see some of the biggest opportunities uh, for markets uh, when you've had these sort of big drawdowns. So I think investors sort of stockpiling a little bit of cash to begin to look at so those some of those opportunities is, is, is sort of interesting. Um, and I think we're also seeing maybe some preferencing for sort of day-to-day sort of consumer spending, right? If you've got a little, you know, pulling a little bit of money out in the markets to support your sort of um, your, your consumer spending. So I think we've seen all of that. Um, but I think, you know, you dig into the trends and there's some really, you know, there's sort of three or four really interesting takeaways. I mean, one is um, where have we been seeing inflows, uh, not outflows, has been commodities. Uh, you know, investors definitely looking for those sort of inflation hedges and, and commodities definitely perform well. Um, and, and that's sort of, I, I guess we sort of, you know, stand behind that. Uh, international equities, which we've been talking quite a lot about, right? They've seen some outflows, but um, pretty modest ones. Uh, and obviously, international equities have held up very well this year. You know, places like the UK, you know, nearly flat um, versus the US, you know, NASDAQ down sort of 20 odd percent. And and again, that sort of makes sense, right? These are sort of cheaper markets. They, they're sort of less loved markets. They've done less well sort of historically. So relative safe havens. Uh, and even within the US, um, we've seen a lot more com- money coming out of these sort of smaller um, small mid cap stocks than we have out of the large cap stocks, right? Um, which, again, sort of makes sense, right? these small caps just you know a little bit more exposed to uh the sort of growth slowdown we're seeing relative to you know these really big diversified large caps with sort of big balance sheets and 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 things like that Uh, and then just finally um you know maybe despite all our sort of focus on equities the biggest outflows have been from bond funds uh, and arguably the biggest surprise this year has been from bonds right we 
bonds aren't meant to sell off as dramatically as they have this year, right? They're meant to be the sort of stabilizers in people's portfolios, sort of lower risk, lower return. Well, that hasn't worked this year, right? They've, they've had basically the biggest sell-off in bonds you've almost ever had, and, and that's driven some pretty uh, dramatic uh, outflows. Um, but I, I, I do question whether that begins to sort of moderate from here, right? I mean, bond yields in the US up at nearly 3%, certainly a lot more attractive maybe for sort of long-term holders than they were you know, even a couple of months ago. So um, um, I, I think, you know, yes, people are becoming a little bit more cautious, but the sort of silver linings here, I think people are stockpiling some money to look at some opportunities. And um, I think people have been very sensible. I mean, looking at those inflation hedges, looking at those international equities um, really makes a lot of sense to me right now. Yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see the next um, sort of retail investor beat that we do, see what they're thinking. I mean, I, I, I can only speak for myself and, um, and and friends that I'm close with. I've got to getting a lot of messages about people, you know, looking to enter the market for, for the long term, seeing it as a, a good opportunity down here. Uh, time will tell if, if that's obviously the, the right decision or not. But if you, you know, you're not in the market, you can't take advantage of it. Uh, final subject for us today, then, is is the R word, recession. Um, do you think it happens in, in the US, for, for example? And, and if it does, uh, what, what do central banks sort of have in the bank to, to deal with it now? Yeah, so this is sort of the trillion dollar or multi-trillion <laughs> dollar question, right? Um, which is really going to determine whether markets end up being, you know, down more than this at the end of the year or whether we actually sort of turn up, right? This is the, this mm. is the key question. Um, and market worries on recession have definitely been rising, right? In the first maybe three or four months of this year, uh, we were really concerned uh, not about recession or not about growth. We were concerned about inflation. We were concerned about interest rates. We were concerned about what that was doing to valuations in markets. Um, and and you know, those issues has really what's driven the correction so far this year. Uh, the relative resilience has come from uh, economic growth and, and company profits. These have been the sort of, you know, the anchors. This is what's been stopping markets from being even weaker. So this is why this question is now, you know, important. Um, you know, we see a slowdown. We don't see a recession. Um, and, and that distinction is, is, is absolutely critical, right? Um, so, you know, why a slowdown? Partly it's just, you know, we had a boom last year um, and that boom you know, is naturally slowing. Um, and partly it's, the response we're seeing from people like the Fed, right, to 8% inflation. If we're going to get that inflation down, it needs to, you know, what's going to get that down is an economy which is which is slowing somewhat. Um, so, you know, in some ways, we sort of welcome a slowdown. Now, what stops a recession? I think the three things, the three big buffers, one is this very high starting point, right? I mean, economies boomed last year. Uh, there's a lot of growth out there. So we're slowing from a, from a very high level. So that's one, one big buffer. The other one is the consumer. Um, over the last couple of years, the consumer, you know, many consumers have managed to accumulate quite a lot of savings. Uh, unemployment is at sort of multi-decade lows. Wages are rising. So consumers are in sort of reasonably good shape. If you're in your house, it's worth more. Um, you know, we've had a big equity rally over the last few years. Um, so consumers are in sort of reasonably good shape. And then finally, so are companies. Um, you know, we've just come off first quarter earnings season, profits in the US up 10%, 40% in Europe. Um, profit margins are at near record levels. Companies are still investing a lot. Um, balance sheets are, you know, pretty strong. So again, companies are in, you know, very, very solid shape. So absolutely, we're looking for a slowdown, but I don't think we're looking for a, a, a recession. Um, and, and, and what do central banks do? Um, you know, one of the reasons central banks have been, you know, keen to raise interest rates so one is obviously to um, uh, bring inflation down. But the other one 
is to give them room to cut rates in the future. Um, you know, if we are going to go into recession at some point, if growth really does sort of decelerate here, um, they have some uh, some ammunition uh, which they wouldn't have had if um, if interest rates were still um, was were still at zero. And uh, and you're beginning to see a little bit of that right now, right? So, what have these recession fears um, done over the last sort of few weeks? So. Uh, we thought or markets thought that the Fed would keep hiking interest rates to three and a half percent a couple of weeks ago. Now markets think they're only going to get to three. Right. And this is sort of this response mechanism. Uh, markets think that the Fed's actually going to start cutting interest rates in 2024. Um, so none of these reactions would be possible if interest rates were still at zero. So I think the fact that, um, you know, most central banks in the world, bar from maybe the ECB or the Bank of Japan, you know, the vast majority of central banks in the world are well off zero at this point. Um, partly this is to slow inflation down, but also, you know, they're looking for the next crisis uh, and want to make sure that they have some um, some, some ammunition to um, to deal with it, you know, if and, or I would say when, right? It will come. It's just a question of when. Yeah, no, really interesting. I was having dinner last night in Israel, 27 degrees, just to rub it in again. And we were talking about uh, whether, oh, the central bank should have done more last year. They should have started raising rates. And it's hard. I mean, it's easy in hindsight, obviously, to say all of that. But we then got onto the conversation about whether uh, we could see in the future in the US is what we were talking about, whether we would ever see negative interest rates, whether we would ever see helicopter money. Is that like the next thing that they could do or, could, or is that just something you would never see in the US? Don't think that could happen. Yeah, I think you could. I mean, I think the lesson for the last few years is the toolkit has just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the global financial crisis, the toolkit was basically interest rates and, and, and sort of nothing else, right? And what the global financial crisis did was just expand that toolkit, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's interest rates and, and now it's sort of quantitative easing, right? I'm going to have these exp massively expand my balance sheet. I'm going to buy masses of bonds. I'm going to push down long-term bond yields. Um, so, you know, that toolkit's just got bigger and bigger. And, and the reason it got bigger was, you know, with interest rates are at zero, what do I do, yeah. right? I need to find other ways to support the economy. So, um, yeah, I would never say never. I think the lesson for the last few years is um, yeah. the the toolkit just gets gets bigger and bigger. We find new ways to to support the uh, uh, support the economy, and uh, you know, luckily, as we've said, we pushed interest rates up, so we can use the traditional levers. But if we ever get back to zero, we need to use more. I think central banks have shown you over the last few years that um, they can get very creative if they need to. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Last question for for today. Then, do you think? And obviously, in hindsight, the answer may change. But should the Fed have, have, have raised, started raising rates back in the last year? Or do you think that could actually have shocked the market too much and we maybe would be in a worse position? You know, is it, is it hard to know what they should have done last year? Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And, and I think, um, um, but, you know, clearly with what we know now, yeah, the Fed should have, should have raised interest rates earlier. It probably would have allowed them to be a little bit more gradual, right? Yeah. 25 basis points a meeting or every other meeting rather than this sort of short, sharp shock we're seeing now of, so back to back, fifty basis point increases. So the Fed's, you know, clearly found itself a little bit behind the curve. Um, not sure you should blame them too much for that, right? This is a extraordinary environment, extraordinary stimulus, extraordinary rebound, extraordinary um, type of inflation, right? I mean, this is not just tight labor markets. This is supply shocks. This is commodity prices. Um, you know, we weren't looking at renewed China lockdowns. We weren't looking at a war in Ukraine. Um, so I think you've got to give them a little bit of slack. But yeah, with the benefit of hindsight. They probably should have moved. Uh, they, you know, it would have been helpful to move earlier. 
Yeah, I guess we all need a crystal ball to, to know that. Okay, well, look, we'll wrap it there. For those listening, uh, head over to Itoro Academy, got all the podcasts, all the videos, all the upcoming webinars and guides uh, at your disposal. So do check those out. But Ben, thank you very much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, enjoy. Uh, keep working on your tan. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> Take care, everyone, uh, and have a good one. You've been listening to Digest and Invest from eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com.